morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who are with us for the first time. Thank you for making us your church home on this rainy Sunday morning. Turn with me over to the book of Ruth. We're going to continue our series on men and women of the Bible, and we're going to concentrate on Ruth today, but we're kind of going to get a two-for-one. Uh, we're going to look at Naomi quite a bit. Two women that had significant impact on what it means to do relationship well, our understanding of the Bible, understanding what it means to commit to one another. We're going to look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. The title of the sermon is Ruth, Extender of Family. Ruth, Extender of Family. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to your mother's house, and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Verse 10. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, even if, even, if, if even I should have one husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Verse 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus, may the Lord do so to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Verse 18, and when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Lord, help as we study your word. Three things we're going to talk about in this passage. One, their initial commitment, meaning the daughters-in-law, initial commitment to Naomi's willingness and insistence in her pushback of their commitment. And then three, the kind of commitment that Ruth gives and that opposed to Orpus. Now the background to this passage is that Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah are all related by marriage. Naomi had moved with her husband Elimelech to the land of Moab because there was a famine in Bethlehem where they lived. And the famine was so severe that no one could get any food. And so their best option was to go to Moab. Moab was not a part of Canaan, meaning the land of the promise which God had given the people of Israel to possess. It was outside of the land of Canaan. They, they sojourned there. And they were able to find some degree of provision. While there, they had two sons, Naomi and Elimelech. Uh, not, I'll say that differently. While they were there, they brought their sons with them to, to sojourn. One named Mahalan and one, the other Chiliab. 
these two boys married Moabite women. Malon married Ruth and Orpah married Chilion. In the events that occur, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, passed away. And so did the two husbands of Ruth and Orpah. And so you've got now a mother-in-law with two daughters-in-law left. It's sad in every respect. Famine in the land caused them to move. They move to a place where they think provision is going to happen, and they lose more than they gain. But Naomi gained something in the process. Though she felt like she was the loser in all of this, her commentary was, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. He has been against me. I don't know that I would judge her on the basis of that comment or look at all of her theology as being wrapped around those words. I think all of us, if you've lived long enough, have been through difficulty enough to begin to question, is God with you? Said things you probably wished you, had taken back, you could take back. Lord, I can't believe, do you care? I mean, all those things seem to come out of our mouth when we are in the midst of really hard times. And this was one of the hardest. If you are a widow in this time period, in this culture, there's no upward occupational mobility for you. There's no place for you to go. You basically are, are relegated to begging for the rest of your life. If your husband has not set aside the resources necessary for you to be provided for in the event of his death, you're a beggar. And it's obvious that where, wherever her husband and she came from, Naomi and Elimelech, it wasn't good when they left or else they would have stayed. So famine has caused difficulty to be in their home and they've gone to a place to, to try to find some provision and they have wound up being worse than when they came. This is why Naomi says, I'm empty. I have nothing left. Now, in order to understand this passage as well, from a different perspective, why Naomi speaks as she does to her daughters-in-law with respect to her not having any other children for, for them to marry or being able to remarry and then bear children and them waiting until those children had grown up, uh, there's a thing called leviterate marriage that's in Scripture. Um, it is a practice that was was employed on a regular basis in this time period um, and even through some of the monarchical moments we believe but after that once the kingdom had passed generally speaking this didn't happen anymore but it was that if a, a son of two parents had a wife and those parents also had another son so they were brothers and the brother who was married uh, died and left a widow then his brother, generally speaking the eldest brother, was to take his widow as his own wife and then bear sons in the deceased brother's name, in the sibling's name, and give the children that were born to that woman an inheritance from his own resources to carry on the name of the deceased brother. It's called leviterate marriage. You'll find this in Deuteronomy 25. It was supposed to be practiced on a regular basis so that the name of the deceased did, was not extinguished from Israel. God cared about legacy. So this is the perspective from which Naomi is speaking, saying, do I have any other sons to give you? And, and, and I'm, I'm too old to marry. And even if I did marry, would you wait around until they were old enough to marry? Would you not marry instead? 
I'm in a bad place. There is no reason for you to ever stay with me. I have nothing to give you. Now, what's lost in this conversation is, is the fact that Orpah and Ruth even want to stay with their mother-in-law. There's a conversation about how we want to be with you, which speaks to who Naomi is. Wow. And as much as we're going to talk about Ruth today, it would be wise for us to look in the mirror and see if there's anything that looks like Naomi in us. Is there anything about us to which people would want to commit? Is there something really attractive about our relationship with Jesus that would want to make people say, even when we tell them to leave, I ain't going. Because you're amazing. I can't find anybody like you. I would rather be poor for the rest of my life than to be without you. In fact, I am more wealthy than I, when I'm with you than I am without you, even if I have stuff. I consider it my privilege to sacrifice everything I've got to be with you. Is there any Naomi on the inside of us? I mean, this passage always brings conviction to people about what, what their loyalty looks like, how committed they are to somebody else or to a group of people. But we hardly ever look at who we need to be because at some point, you're going to be in need. At some point, you're going to have to have help. You can't live independently. Christians are, were never meant to live in a silo. We're meant to live connected. And generally speaking, you want people to connect to you for more reasons than just because they have to. I'm a Christian. Okay, I'll, I'll be with you. You hate every moment of it. You want them to commit to you because there is no better place they could be. Even though your circumstances are horrible. I don't know if you could get worse circumstances than Naomi. Because even as she was going back from Moab to Bethlehem, to what was she returning? Okay, the famine had ended, but that didn't mean that resources were available to her. When a man and a woman leave and take their family with them, and we think they were probably in Moab better part of a decade, generally speaking, all the people who would be their help back home if he had resources, if he had a farm, if he had servants, those folk would probably fly the coop as well because if there wasn't any food for the, for the maid family, there surely wasn't any food for the servants. So they were going to find work every place. What was left of their home? What was left of their fields for crops? And she had no, she had no hands, hired people to be able to work it. She was going back to nothing. And this is why she was telling her daughters-in-law, I'm the last person you want to be with because I've got nothing for you. She was pushing back for their well-being. This happened right around the period, mm, we think about 1,000 B.C. Happened in the period of the judges. So before the monarchy, first king was Saul, second was David. Before the monarchy. And someplace before you get to Samuel, Samuel judged Israel for a long period of time, you have this occurrence. We think Samuel probably wrote the book and it happened either at the end of, of excuse me, at the, end, excuse, at the beginning of his judgeship 
uh, or, and, and, and he was able to at least view a little bit of it or hear about it. But we do know that it probably happened in the, in the last 1100 to, to 1000 BC because Ruth winds up marrying a man named Boaz and they become the great-grandparents of David. So you can generally get great-great-grandparents, one great, great-grandparents within a 100-year time span or shorter. So that's the time period we're talking about. And there, there, really, there really wasn't much for Naomi in any way. And she was trying to do what she could to help her daughters-in-law have a future. It wasn't one of these, don't, 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 don't stay, please stay. Don't, don't stay, please stay. It wasn't one of those reverse psychology things. She was really trying to help them. And their initial commitment is very commendable. No, we're going to go with you. Which again speaks to Naomi's character, her relationship with God, the way she carried herself. That these women would rather go to a foreign land foreign language, foreign culture with their mother-in-law rather than staying in the land in which they grew up and going right back down the street to their parents? Wow. Amazing. So their initial commitment is very impressive. Yet Naomi says no. When Naomi says no, Orpah takes advantage of that open door. Now, you really can't ascribe any sin to Orpah. All she did was do what her mother-in-law said. Now she did commit in the beginning, I'm going to follow you. But her life really couldn't back up her words. She bounced the check with her actions that her mouth spoke. But she had some justification for doing it because mother-in-law said, I'm good. I don't need your help. I'll be fine. You need to pursue your own purposes and destiny. And though Naomi opened the door, when Naomi opened the door, Orpah just went through. So it's hard for us to say she did something wrong. But in the kingdom, at moments which are most critical, you don't have to do wrong to be wrong. You can make a decision that might be good, but it might not be best. You don't have to sin to miss the mark. You just have to go three degrees left in an option situation of what might be best. And here Orpah decided to go a different direction. And Ruth, it says, clung to Naomi. I don't even know what this means. I mean, I know what it means. But I can't get the motivation behind why she did it except that the Spirit of God empowered her to do so. Because there was no natural reason. And everything about this passage is being tied unusually, being tied unusually and relationally to people that you are not naturally drawn to. All of nature would have said, go back home. All of usual says, go back home. All the familiar says, go back home. And she chose unusual, unfamiliar, and unnatural. 
There's nothing about the kingdom that is supposed to scintillate, scintillate your natural uh, uh, emotions and everything that you're used to. Everything about the kingdom that Paul in the New Testament developed was about crossing the barriers that are usually those which you would stop at. Jew, Gentile, let's do this thing together. Let's have church together. Jews are saying, why? There's no point in us crossing these barriers. We are the chosen people. We have a culture we built here. Why in the world do I have to fellowship with people with whom I don't even relate to most of are Romans? And they don't even like us Jews. Exactly. This is where we get to practice loving our enemies. Why should I cross barriers that are unnatural? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what God did in order to get us. I've lived all of my Christian life uncomfortably. If I lived comfortably, you wouldn't be here. We wouldn't build this. There'd be a Hammond B3 organ up here. (laughs) And the only people who are laughing are black right now. (laughs) Y'all wife don't know what in the world I'm talking about. There'd be a choir with robes. We'd have praise breaks every Sunday. (laughs) Folk running around the congregation, falling on their faces, shouting hallelujah. If I built the way way I wanted to comfortably, most of y'all wouldn't be here. If I walked with people with whom I I was most comfortable, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't build what I built. I've chosen to live in the unusual, to be uncomfortable every day of my life. And enjoy the discomfort. It is the way, it is, it is, it is, it is the way that God has chosen to grow Brett up into being bigger than he normally would have been if he stayed in his small little black world. Are you listening to me? And please do not interpret the fact that I don't like my small little black world. Woo, I like my black world. I like my black people, I like my black music, I like my black food, I like it all. But I love the kingdom more. And so I become reflexive in my ability to sacrifice that which is really pleasing to me in order for others to benefit more from the stuff that God put on the inside of me. How I present, the way I talk, The way I fashion this congregation is all about the eclectic nature of our community and making sure we build something that everybody can be a part of, not just folk who look like me. Now, I can't do it it perfectly. There are some things that people just won't like or some things I just can't do well enough. But I'm pushing the pedal to the metal on a regular basis to try to make this not just a place that is, 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 is mm, a melting pot where there is no distinction. I'm not just trying to be crossover in the orientation of making sure that, that everybody's happy with everything at all times and there is no preference for one community or another. We got a, commu- we got a, a Korean church and meeting upstairs at, at 1245. 
We got a Latino church meeting right across the hall right now. And they have another service at 1245. We, we believe in distinction. We're not trying to give blah. Not trying to do that. We believe in distinction. We just don't believe in preferencing. We believe in highlighting. We don't... In order for somebody to feel, to make themselves feel more comfortable around me, who's not African-American, they will tell me on a regular basis, Pastor, I don't see color. I said, I see it every day. <laughs> every day I see it. I just don't give preference to it. And if you don't see color, you don't see bread. Because my color has shaped who I am. I, I, I can't, I, I, I don't want to depart from my African-American heritage. And I can't if I, if I try because everybody else puts me there. So you need to see me for my color. You need to understand where I I come from. And I want to know you. It's just that it doesn't matter when it comes to my preferences. I value who you are regardless of where you came from or what color you are. And I need you in my life, but I want to understand who you are. And I can't do that unless I look at you and realize you're different than me. And embrace that difference. Are you listening to me? Doing the unusual and crossing the borders that are barriers normally is everything that God does. It's natural for him. And Jesus crossed all kind of borders to get to you. He left heaven to come to here. He took on human flesh, which all of us consider normal for entering the earth. But him, it was a downgrade. He who was omnipresent now is confined to a 16 inch 5 pounds 6 ounce baby body that was a border that was hard to cross now he had no fears but I would have been claustrophobic (laughs) he who had all power became as weak as any could be that's a border that was tough to cross He who was all-wise, omniscient, all-knowing, now had to be taught by his creation what two plus two equals? That's a border that was difficult to cross. He who had no need now needed to be provided for at the basic levels of human existence in order to survive one day to the next. And then he had to experience everything through which we've been, yet without sin. All the pains and pressures of what it meant to do wrong, but never do wrong. He crossed a lot of borders to get to you, to get to me. It says that Orpah kissed her. Said bye. It simply means embraced, but it was a farewell. And she went back to her people. Not sin is not a good decision Ruth on the other hand clung to her which made Naomi push back even more I mean she had already said don't go they said we're going she said why would you go I don't have any more sons for you Orpah leaves and then Naomi says to Ruth look your sister-in-law is gone Follow her. Don't be a fool. God has dealt bitterly with me. And if you follow me, you might inherit some of that. Don't 
be foolish. Go back home. To which Ruth says, stop entreating me like that. Ruth rebukes her, her mother-in-law, which, which hardly ever happens. Juniors don't rebuke seniors. You ever tried telling your mom and dad they were wrong? I did that once. <laughs> mm. I'd rather let God do it from now on. I just said, I'm, I'm done. I'm, that, that just, I can't do that anymore. Stop talking to me about this. For where you go, I will go. So I'm going to follow you. Where you lodge, I will lodge. So I'm going to live with you. Your people are going to be my people. I mean, at every, at every statement, she's upping her commitment. With Naomi just listening, thinking, who are you? Your people are going to be my, I'm going to adopt your people as my people. It's not just you I'm following. It's not just you with whom I'm going to live. I'm going to live with your people. I'm going to become Jewish. Your God will be my God. You're, 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 you're leaving your people, you're leaving your gods, you're leaving your home. You're, this is what it means. I didn't even ask, I didn't ask you to do any of this. But if I were to ask, it would just be to accompany me to Bethlehem until I can get settled and you go back home. I'm not asking for, you're doing this? Yeah, and by the way, where is your burial plot? Greystone Cemetery. I'm going to buy a plot right there. Right in Bethlehem. May God deal with me severely if nothing but death separates you from me. Naomi says, I'm done. I got nothing. I, 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 got no, I don't even know what to say to that. I've never heard anybody whose, whose last name didn't jive with mine say that to me. Wow. Again, it amplifies Naomi's character. Who would deserve that kind of commitment except somebody who is exceptional in their behavior and their love? So as much as this sermon is about what it means to commit to somebody, let's remember that we need to be the somebodies to whom others would want to commit. Because at some point, you're going to be needy. At some point, you're going to have to have somebody's help. And the last thing you want is for them to want to do it only because they got to. Ruth decided to cross boundaries that were unusual. And God provided for her in unusual ways. Now, she didn't know to, which you, to, to, to what she was committed. She didn't know. She knew, but she didn't know. So they go back to, to Bethlehem. And again, there was nothing there as, as confirmed by what I said earlier. Her farm was not a functioning farm. There were no resources to be gained. So the only way they could get what they needed is if Ruth went and begged. What would it look like 
to all of your relatives, if you made this kind of commitment to somebody and you wound up on the corner with a sign saying, we'll work for food. That's what Ruth committed to. She became a beggar. We know this to be true because it says she was with the gleaners in a man named Boaz in his field. He owned a field. And, and she went out to glean with the other maidens. And gleaning was the process through which the poor could go after the harvesters in the harvest time. And they could pick up what the harvesters left behind. If you harvested your, your crops, you were not allowed to go back and pick up that which you dropped. God said, don't do that. Nor could you harvest the edges of your field. You could only harvest the middle. So you had to leave a border all around your field because God desired to provide for the poor. That was the rule. And so gleaners were normal. That after the harvesters would go pick up the harvest, you'd see these men and women coming behind them, picking up what they left over, and going along the edges of the field to, to bring in for themselves what they could. Ruth packed up her stuff every morning and decided, I'm going to go with the gleaners because that's what needed to happen. She became the provision for her mother-in-law, and she had to be confused as being somebody who was, who was poor, not by choice, but just poor, and do the things necessary just to put food on the table because Naomi didn't have the strength to do it. She was too aged. So Ruth went out gleaning. Boy, I imagine she was challenging her faith. Did I make a good decision? I mean, what would mama think if I was out on the corner begging for food when I could have been back home with her? Sometimes identifying with people in the fullness of their need is one of the greatest treasures you can give. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. He identified with us fully. He identified not only with our humanity, but identified with our sin, confusing himself as being a criminal. He knew he was innocent, but everybody else didn't. Surely, if somebody is being crucified, he must have done something horrible. He must have committed treason. He must have said something. He must have stolen something. He must have, there must be some reason that they put him on that cross. And not once did he try to vindicate himself by saying, I want you to know I don't deserve this. It's all for you that I'm doing this. Just FYI. <laughs> Never did he vindicate himself. He allowed himself to be counted among the sinners. Though he had done nothing wrong, he identified with us fully. In order that we might identify with him fully. That when we died, we died because he died. And when he, he rose, we rose because he rose. Full identification with us by him. Our full identification with him by us allows us to live the life that we never could have lived. And for him to die the death that we should have died. Ruth, I'm going to identify fully in your difficulty, Naomi. <laughs> wow. And because of this woman's daily obedience, y'all, going out there, not, not complaining once, not complaining, never complaining. It was a guy who owned the field. His name is Boaz. And he saw this woman gleaning in the fields. And she obviously looked different because she wasn't a Jewess. So different complexion, different something. He noticed her and said, who is that? Who's that new maiden? 
And the servant said, oh, that's the, the girl who came with Naomi. He said, I heard about her. See, when you do the unusual, when you do the unusual, God lets other people know about what's happening in your life. And whether they recognize it as they should, he's on the, he's on the case. God is on the case. I heard about you. And it says that after she finished gleaning with the other maidens, Boaz said, hey, put a little more in her sack. In fact, put a lot more in her sack. She comes back home as if she was a harvester, not a gleaner. Naomi says, where did you glean today? How did you you get this much? Said, well, there was this, this man named Boaz, you know him? Oh, he's my relative. He's one of the closest of kin. Look how the Lord has provided. He put you in a field. I didn't even know, but you wound up there. That's really cool. Oh, the Lord doing something. Girl, listen, go back tomorrow. I want you to do this. (laughs) The Lord got something for you in this girl. I'm telling you, just listen to me now. I know what I'm talking about. She winds up marrying Boaz. When you identify in somebody's weakness, God begins to manifest his strength. He hadn't forgotten about you. But like Corey said when he talked about the offering, you never do it to get. You do it because you love. You just love. He's one of our nearest of kin. He'll help. Turns out that Boaz marries Ruth. And becomes the grandmother, great-grandmother of David, second king of Israel. The most important king of Israel. Here we have a woman who pretty much committed herself to be destitute for the rest of her days. And be the provider for her mother-in-law crossing unnatural borders, joining a natural family. And God provided for her in ways like she never thought possible. To, To be named in the godly heritage and lineage of Christ because David happened to be the great, 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 integrated grandpa of Jesus. This passage has been too often used to try to homiletically manipulate people into being committed to a local church. If you are a Ruth, you'll sign up for membership. (laughs) Because that's what loyalty looks like. I don't believe that. It can't extrapolate to organization, but this is all about committing to people. Finding those to whom God has joined you and not leaving. It doesn't matter how difficult it gets. You stay. You don't stay because it's fun. You don't stay because it profits you. You stay because you love. You cling to people because you can benefit them. It has nothing to do with how much they will benefit you. 
I've been walking with Jesus for over 38 years. And by his grace, there's nobody I've ever left. I've been sent. I was sent from a church in Indiana to here. But I carried those people with me in my heart, and they, me, they supported me. My first pastor, Mitch Smith, was here at our dedication service four years ago as we dedicated this building. We're great friends. Since I've come here, by the grace of God, I've never left anybody. I've had people leave me, and I pray for them and bless them. But I know what it's like to live in such a way as to commit to folk who aren't like me at all and to love them even in the midst of their pain and to identify with them as being confused, as being just like them even when they had done wrong or they were less than. I know what it's like to be there, so I am not preaching to you out of just theology. This is a practice. But it doesn't mean that I make this commitment to everybody I know because there's no way Brett can be spread that thin. But there are people that God puts in your life that you know you ought not leave. I don't know who they are, but God will reveal them to you. And it won't be sin for you to go. It just won't be best. And as a result of you hanging around, as a result of me hanging around people, God has seen fit to increase my lot beyond that which I ever thought possible. There were times when I found myself gleaning, only to find myself gleaning in the right field. And I'm begging you, if you haven't experienced the joy of sacrifice that requires you to give like Ruth, I pray you would soon. You'd find somebody that God has joined you, to whom God has joined you, that can benefit you in no way possible that you can see and give yourself for their benefit. The other thing is that there is a, a, a note of church affiliation in this, if you will, in that she says, your people will be my people. But please, do not interpret my extrapolation of your people will be my people to the idea of what it means to commit to a church to where now you think Pastor Brett is saying I need to commit to this church no listen sometimes I don't even like me (laughs) but I have no choice but to be with me I get it. We may not be your cup of tea. You may not like anything that we do, or you might just be tolerating it because it's the best thing you found, but you're looking for better. I get it. If we aren't it, I'm not mad at you. You go to another church as long as you go and stay, meaning find some place rather than just flittering around like a butterfly. Oh, I'm going to be a consumer Christian, get a little bit of this at the Walmart version of church over here, then I'm going to go to Target church over here, then go over here to the Walmart Supercenter over here and get a little bit more, and you just, you, you just get what you can as best you can and do Western Christianity rather than finding yourself in the roots of Scripture. We may not be it, and that's fine. Find some place. Find a people to whom you can commit. 
so that you can see your destiny exponentially expand by the leverage of all the other relationships that look like they're only going to take from you right now and cost you everything. But in the end, God is your provider and through that relationship, he will do more than you ever dreamed. I'm done. Lord, (laughs) please help us as people to understand the principles here so that we can obey you at high levels.